One and two and three and four. There's murder and intrigue, but the kids of Riverdale are gonna be just fine, just fine, just just fine. There's Jughead and Betty, and Dad's a serial killer serving some jail time, jail time, jail jail time. We got milkshakes and pops. And mimosas at Veronica's Yeah, the kids of Riverdale are gonna solve some crime Some crime, some, some crime Cause the kids of Riverdale are gonna still be fine Maybe damaged, damn, damn, damn Sit right down, you're gonna have a real good time With Team Cheryl Who's Archie? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Milkshakes and Mimosas. I'm Jason. I'm your host this week as Andrew's recuperating, you know, but the show must go on. So we are here to talk about the David Lynch film, Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet, ladies and gentlemen, the 1986 film starring Kyle MacLachlan. Dennis Hopper, <laughs> I, Isabella Rossellini, <laughs> and Laura Dern. Yeah, Laura um, Dern! Yes, yes, the wonderful Laura Dern. We're talking about that this week because, you know, as Riverdale has gone on hiatus, we're, we're, we're gonna, this is going to turn into a little bit of a um, Twin Peaks podcast. And, you know, we thought we'd uh, talk about some David Lynch movies to Lisa. And last week we talked about Sophie and Luke's favorite film, the David Lynch masterpiece, dude. <laughs> so they're back this week with me to talk about. I mean, you know, this movie, this movie velvet, did whatever. give me a line that I've used excessively over the last few weeks. Oh, which one's that? Which one? Uh, well, I, I, there's I, some, said it, there's I, some... I said it earlier before we started recording. Which which so is I'll, the wit, Luke? I'll let you. I'll let you. I'll just let you uh, think on that for a little bit. We'll get to it. Oh, I remember it was the Heineken line. Yes. <laughs> oh yes. I've yeah. also Fuck been telling. Shit. I've also been telling every single person I meet: if you receive a love letter from me, you're fucked forever. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one too. <laughs> yep. Luke said that to um on Thanksgiving. Threw <laughs> a Heineken against the wall. Right. Um, once, 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 minute, once milkshakes and mimosas wraps up Twin Peaks, uh, I think that Andrew should consider just having uh, Luke and I every week to do your one-stop shop for Eric Von Detten Instagram news. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Von Detten. Yep. Hashtag Eric Von Detten. Eric Von Detten, who's the, uh, the Cheryl of the podcast now that we're not talking about. <laughs> yeah, and and yes, Luke is holding up his yes. Blue Ribbon, which is the only acceptable beer for him. That's what Frank drinks. Yeah. Yep, he also likes to inhale, um, you know, whatever he's inhaling. Yeah, I don't know. What that, I think. Are, are we going to get into, is that, is that a, do we know what the fuck that, that shit's about? <laughs> yeah, okay, so Blue Velvet, ladies and gentlemen, the 1986 <laughs> film, starring Kyle MacLachlan. Isabel you know, is, is the story of um, a young man who's come home, you know, his first year of college. His father has... Suffered a horrible injury, a spinal yep. injury. How I'm going to pause you right little... there. What happened? It's very 
mysterious. Uh-huh. It's not really certain how it happens. Even though um, we watched, we like we saw it happen, but we still don't. We know. sort of don't. He just sort of collapses, right? The child comes up. Um, I'm assuming he's comes up with the his younger brother or the neighbor or something. You no. never see that child again. Mowing the lawn. You know, I've, I've seen this movie many times, and that's always been a, a question of mine. I, when I first saw it, I assumed he got electrocuted somehow, like he hit a wire or something, because he sort of seems like he convulses. I thought something got, like, flung up by the uh It's possible, and, and, hit and him. hits him. Yeah. I'm not sure I want to get into this, but I think it's possible... <laughs> I think it's possible that that's intentional that you don't know what happens because I think that the nature of this film is intentional, you know, and you could really get up your own ass with any David Lynch film, right? You really could. Right. right. Yeah. So, and I think it's debatable. Maybe David Lynch just does crazy shit. I think that that came up on another podcast that Sophie was on recently. I don't believe that. I think things are intentionally done in David Lynch films. Yeah. So I'm going to get up my own ass in front of everyone tonight, right? Um, and I'm going to say, I think that really this film is about the nature of na- the nature, the dangerous nature of the world, right? Like, I think this film is about being at a certain age, right? Because Lord Dern's character and Kyle McLaughlin's character are like at the precipice of needing to be adults mm-hmm. in a world that's uncertain. And, and wanting to be adults before they're ready, maybe. Right, right. Or, or just being and being obsessed with the, the bad side of the world and wondering what the world has in store for you. And I think that that's sort of intentional, like just bad things can happen and it's fine that it's not explained. What do you guys think about that? Hypothesis. That's a that's deep. That's way too smart for me. I I didn't. Oh. I I don't know that I would have uh, ascertained that from. Well, let's my let's think about it. what. And you know, I have the benefit probably over you guys of having seen this film roughly ten to fifteen times, probably. Uh, much. I have questions. You've seen the movie that many times. I've seen it many <laughs> times, and I love this film. There's things that I have problems with, and I'm sure Sophie is going to have things she has problems with. Is my guess, knowing Sophie, and. <laughs> You know me. That, I, I didn't mean problems. that. That sounded dickish, and that wasn't what. No, I, I know what you meant. I know what you meant. <laughs> I, you're not the only one. So there's a lot of people who do, and I don't think you're wrong either. By the way, we'll we'll get into that. I think think about what it shows you right before that happens, which is like it goes into the dirt under the grass and shows you all these like beetles eating all the dirt and the disgusting crawling around in the grass, right? Really, this film is about just beneath the surface of what we consider reality is a horrible, horrible underworld that we may think we're ready for, but we're really not. Right? And I think Mm -hmm. that's really what this film is. And and being attracted to that, right? Both in the sense of mystery, but also in the sense of needing to know what the world is really like at that age, especially. I so, like it. Mm-hmm. yeah, just laying that out there. It makes me like the movie more, although, <laughs> like I said, I don't think that I uh, I uh, got that from it in the one time that I that I struggled to finish it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. So, Luke, you did not like this film at all. Uh, Is that what you said? I, I wasn't a huge fan. I did like it more than Dune. Uh, that, so that's got to be something, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I mean, I here's the thing. I did not 
actively dislike it. I just felt that what kind of what I've assumed since we tried watching Twin Peaks or since I tried to watch Twin Twin Peaks a while back is that I there's apparently David Lynch makes things that just inherently aren't my cup of tea. Mm. I think is kind of or just the style that he uses. I know he kind kind of has uh, coined or mastered the art of like surrealism. Is kind of a lot of what I've read. Yeah. People uh, is why they what they like about his movies, and I guess that like I don't dislike that style. I think it's just there's something about the way that he utilizes it that just doesn't uh, strike a chord with me as much. I did really like Dennis Hopper's performance as he's bad shit and like grimy as it is. Like I I think he's really good in this. He is breathtaking. I believe in this movie. Like I think. There's moments where he's on the verge of it being almost silly, but also yeah. scary. Like, if you've ever been in a situation and having, at a certain age, spent time with a lot of scumbags, right? There's certain individuals, like, you're in the room with, and you're like, this is almost fun, but it's really scary, like, at the same <laughs> time. And he really captures that, like, it's really like, oh, this is kind of zany, but behind it all is, like, unhinged mm-hmm. like he he crosses the line back and forth from being sort of surrealistic goofy to terrifying it's it's uh an incredible performance i you know there, there's a group he's of definitely people. a presence in it too because he's, oh. not, yeah. he's not even introduced for a while and you hear his you hear that name and then when you see him you're like oh shit here he is <laughs> he said he's wearing that fight he's in that costume wearing the fucking mustache it is a lot. Like, I mean, there's. I have a lot of notes on the costuming in this film. <laughs> there's also an incredible performance, I would say, by Dean Stockwell as well in this film. That's a really bizarre performance. Who um, is that? Dean Stockwell's Ben, the guy who, who he calls a gentleman who's keeping like the, who's keeping uh, her, her husband locked up. Got it. He has like the okay. big cigarette, and he is like. And if you know anything of Dean Stockwell, that's very much unlike any other performance he's mm-hmm. ever given. You know, Dean Stockwell, I, I mean, I'm trying to think of what maybe you guys uh, may have seen him in. He's the dude from Quantum Leap. He's the guy that holds the thing. you never seen Quantum Leap. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I will Wait, tell you, you I, know? I recognize him. He's did you know that Harry Dean Stanton was who... Uh, who David Lynch originally wanted to play Frank. That's very interesting. Like, I just... I, I think it'd be I a great performance. Even, I, I'm sure it would be. It's just, like, I'm so used to seeing Harry Dean Stanton play, like, very sweet characters, yeah. especially later in his life, yeah. and especially yeah. in David Lynch vehicles. Like, that was really hard for me to consider. Although, I guess they also thought about Willem Dafoe, which would have also been, like, a horrifying Terrifying. and unhinged Ooh, performance. That would have been that would have been an extra layer of terrifying. We also have uh, Brad Dorf here. Doesn't do a ton. Here, Brad Dorf wearing a, a goddamn spacesuit. He has a yes. suit that's entirely like metallic silver, like <sighs> crushed leather. I don't even know what it is, but I love it so much. And it doesn't match. <laughs> it's like two different silvers that do not match one another. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I'm I'm into it. 
We also have uh, George Dickerson, and we, I mean, but really, uh, Isabella Rossellini is great in this film as well. Maybe, I mean, she's incredible in this film, in a very difficult role, which is, I'm sure, it is, there's been a lot of controversy. Isabella Rossellini, who was married to David Lynch at the time as well, which makes interesting. Very, uh, even more probably, uh, maybe problematic, I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe yeah, not. Yep, yep. You know, and, and there's people who really feel like how she's treated in this film is problematic. And I actually don't disagree with that necessarily. As I said, I've loved this film. I've seen it many times. Uh, I, I think I see her as the victim of this film, certainly. I mean, I think it really depends on how you view her character, how problematic this becomes. I, I think it's, for me, it was largely problematic because it is yeah. written in such a way that it feels like she is pretty on board for a lot of the victimization that's happening for her, which just yeah. feels like gross and exploitative. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I want you. I want you to continue on that part because I really love to hear your point of view on this. But I just want to show. I just want to share my view yeah. on it. Yeah. Not to say that you're wrong because this is a David Lynch film, and film nerds that are listening to this, you don't know what the fuck this movie's about either. Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you could take the. It's designed for you to be able to absorb it and view it through your lens and make it your own, right? So, you know, I, I'm only preferencing all of that because. You know, if, if you're telling somebody that they have an issue with this film, because this is a sort of a beloved film, people see it sort of in some circles, I think, as a that you can't criticize. And I think that that's nonsense. I think so. That's the only reason why I'm preferencing that. If you have that viewpoint, I think you're just wrong. The 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 way I view it is she's doing what she can in the situation that she's dealt with dealt in and she's confused and she's damaged i think this film is about her being damaged because of the evil that's going on around her i don't think she's complicit as much as she is just doing the best she can in the moment and that's how i view the character i don't i'm not saying i'm right i'm just saying right. that's how i view when she's smiling and she's even telling tom mclaughlin to hit her right and you know, and all that stuff when she's she's just trying to adapt to the evil that's around her. She's become tainted by Frank, in my opinion. As sure. Kyle McLaughlin is beginning to become tainted as well, you know, with the situation that he's sort of abusing her as well, in my viewpoint. He's oh, using he's her. absolutely abusing right, her. Yeah. Right. So I think this is a situation where she's the victim. This is just my opinion again. She's the victim of men being terrible. Right. And that's how yeah. that's how I view that. And I think that that's it's fine to take it a different way, though, and be like, this film sucks for that, because there's definitely a bunch of people who feel that way. For so. sure. No, I, I think I largely agree with you. I think like in some of the scenes where. And it's hard because I think. Like, you don't ever want to say that's the wrong way for the victim of xyz to respond because like people respond to trauma in different ways and you can't anticipate it but some of the scenes especially where she where like for example when she first finds kyle mclaughlin in her closet and her response is like hey creepy guy hiding in my closet we should fuck like it feels like as someone who is being victimized that's a weird 
not the reaction I would anticipate. I understand at the same time that like she doesn't know whether or not he's associated with this guy that's uh, victimizing her. So you don't know. Like, so I just had like, to be frank, I had very, well, not to be <laughs> frank, the character, but to be honest, I just had very conflicting feelings about that yeah. storyline the whole time because I think yeah. that her performance is amazing. And I think it that is. like, there were periods of time where I felt like disgusted by or pity for her when it, when, and I would catch myself being like, that's a really unfair way to feel about someone who is like when she shows up at, like when Kyle McLaughlin's on a date with Laura Dern and she shows up and she's like naked and beaten and she's just this like is the end of the film almost. Yeah. And she's like clinging to him because he's like a comforting person that she knows. I was just like, Isabella versus Lady, not the time. And it's like, she's a trauma victim. You don't, you just gotta like let it happen. This movie just made me very uncomfortable. I think largely in yeah. ways that it meant to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's interesting to what you said is if you were to go back and watch that scene and watch the range of emotions across Laura Dern's face, they're yeah. very similar. Yeah. Right. It's yep. disgust. And then it's who's, who's great in this movie as well, but she doesn't get, as needy of a global media part as uh, other people, because she's really the uh, epitome of innocence, sort of, right? Mm -hmm. But when, in that moment, there's, like, a range of, like, disgust, and then feeling sorry for her, and then disgust at him, right? And, and like, then, jealousy. And, back, and, and yeah. jealousy, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and I think that that's, as you said, I think that's intentional in the film. And, and, you know, if you're to judge a film... Fairly, I think you have to judge it at what is the intention of the filmmaker, right? right? And I think this film does what it intends to do. And I, you might be surprised to hear me say this, but I was actually pleasantly surprised at how comparatively not graphic or fetishized the sexual assault scenes were. Like they were brutal and hard to watch, but yeah. they did not. I mean, especially if I think about movies like Last House on the Left or even more recent movies that have rape scenes in them. And honestly, like my biggest, my best thing to pin it on more recently is like every rape scene ever in Game of Thrones. Like they're just so... Which the critics don't even know is rape. Half right. The time for some reason. That's when I stopped watching. I was like, oh, you don't know this is rape? I have Sophie, to you were smarter than all of us because if ever, all of us had stopped watching when you did, we would have great memories of Game of Thrones. It was that. It was that. And then when Sansa got raped and they just showed uh, whatever the fuck really face, bad. like the guy, they were like, look how hard this rape is for the guy. And I was like, I'm out. I have to leave. But I think, like, comparatively, the sexual assault scene in this is necessarily really hard to watch, but yeah. no part of it is sexual. Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't feel fetishized at all. It's just, like, really brutal and invasive and upsetting, but it's not, it doesn't really feel, upsetting. like, I think I've told this story on a lot of podcasts, but when the new Last House on the Left came out, I had seen the original. I was in college when the new one came out and I had seen the original and I worked on the student student programming board. And so they were going to, you know, we would get movies in between theater and when they went to video. So they got Last House on the left, the new one for Halloween. And I was like, I do not want to volunteer for that movie because I don't want to watch it because I've seen the original and I'm just not interested. But I, I had to. And so I was there doing tickets and whatnot. And so I had to sit in the theater while the movie was on. 
And oh. during the rape scene, when they cut away from the rape, the guy behind me went, oh, come on. What? Yeah. It's, I mean, I, that was conservatively 12 years ago. It was like one of the most traumatizing experiences of my life. So like, I appreciate that this movie, I think, does a good job of having the assault scene be just like, just, it's, it is painful to watch. It's, it's horrifying, but they aren't, it's not making it appealing in any way. No. Or graphic, yeah. really. Like, you know what's going on, but they're not making it. Like, I think there's two sides. There's either, like, fetishizing it where they're like, oh, it's great, but it's kind of hot. Or it's like, we're going to make it so graphic that it's just, like, dehumanizing for the female actress. And I think this landed yeah. in the middle where it was hard to watch, but it didn't feel like they were exploiting her. Yeah. And at the same time... I really think it's saying something about human. It's trying to say something about human nature. I think that Kyle McLaughlin emerges right after that moment mm-hmm. to saying he's turned on by her, and it's you know, and, and to the point of how disgusting that scene is, right? Yeah. To then turn around and then they have like a he has like a sex scene with her mm-hmm. where he's turned on by her, and obviously is obviously one of the most beautiful women to ever exist, right? But it's in the context of what's happening, it's talking about who Kyle McLaughlin is. He's a voyeur. He does nothing to try to stop that moment. Granted, right. he's trapped in, you know, and he's scared, right? But he doesn't know how dangerous Frank is necessarily, right? He does nothing to try to prevent it from happening either. He's just drawn to the to the darkness. Mm-hmm. He's not drawn to a sense of righteousness, right? And doing the right thing. He doesn't want to solve this murder or this ear he's found, right? If you don't know the story of Blue Velvet, he discovers this ear, right? And he's super chill about it. Like, my second (laughs) note of this movie is... So I realize now, reading my notes, that I must have been drunk when we watched this. My second (laughs) note is, you know, when you're super chill and you just find an ear and it's no big deal. (laughs) You just pick it up and take it to the cops as opposed to just being like, Hey, bros, I found an ear out in this field. And, and you know, George Dixon's character, right, the detective, Lord Dern's father, is kind of chill about, is kind of nonchalant about it as well, right? Mm. It is, you know, like, uh, which sort of leads him, I think, to being like, well, no, we have to solve this mystery because he feels like he's, nothing is going to happen about it. And, of course, right. she, who's a senior in high school, Sandy, is drawn to Kyle McLaughlin in the mystery itself. And that's sort of what wraps them together and sort of becomes the story, which is... We need to solve this mystery. She knows about Isabel Rossellini because she's a uh, character who's uh, Dorothy Valens, who uh, about her because her father's staking out because she's into some shady stuff. Her husband's been kidnapped, right? They suspect the ears from her husband. They're correct, as we later find out. So Kyle McLaughlin, you know, breaks into the apartment under the auspices of being an exterminator who cases the joint and steals a key and then they return later and it sort of escalates from there. Yeah, Luke, what did you what do you think about what do you think about the violent the sexual violence of this film? Do you think it's did you find it sufficiently shocking? Did you find it unnecessary? Necessary? What what do you think about what happens in that moment when he's in the closet watching? Uh, I, 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 I probably fall somewhere along the lines of Sophie is that it's not, it's not 
gratuitous to the point of being like overly graphic in terms of like like what they're showing like yeah. it's not as, as she said like it's not there to make you excited that you're about what you're seeing it's right. it's mostly just there to outline the uh how vile like what is happening how vile it is without making it uh visceral like visceral to like to an extent but not to the point where you're just so disgusted by what you're seeing that it uh you know what's a <clears throat> a good example of one that kind of makes it like almost gratuitous i'm probably irreversible i guess would be a good example of the one that if you were to put something up against it where one that overdoes it and one that's doing it pretty well to to sell what it's trying to do without going over the top yeah, uh, I would say it's it's right where it needs to be without being outrageous, and <clears throat> it is definitely not something that's there to be enjoyed. But it is well well filmed, if that's a thing. To, oh yeah, I mean, I, I would argue that yep. there's very few David Lynch films that aren't well filmed, right? Like, it's, and I think uh, that's a really that's an incredibly good way to put it, Luke. I feel yeah. like stating that it's not there to be enjoyed because i think too often male directors even with the best of intentions can't help like fetishizing Mm -hmm. sexual assault and making it like like they can't they and i think it's maybe a defense mechanism right where it's like too brutal to imagine the reality so you have to pretend like maybe it's not that bad and maybe she doesn't dislike it that much because like that's Mm -hmm. just too awful to think about but that's like saying it's not there to enjoy is a really perfect way to put it. Yeah, I would say that's a good explanation for almost every <laughs> David Lynch film is it's not there to be enjoyed. <laughs> 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 and yeah, I mean that's just you know, I, I mean, man, and the things that happen in that scene. Not to get down. I mean, there's. Um, that Frank does to Dorothy are scarring, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I don't. I'm not going to go into detail. You could, you know, if you haven't seen Blue Velvet, and the things we're describing are um, too much for you, then I would suggest probably don't watch it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, it just, it's sort of what the film is about, right? If you it gets uh, less comfortable as it goes along, I would right, argue, right. Just through the sense of the fact that uh, Jeffrey continues on beyond that, right? We left off the point part where they attend the nightclub and she sings Blue Velvet, of course. This is directly following that. But after that, like, I mean, the realization that Frank is essentially using her as a sex slave with hmm. the, with her husband kidnapped. And it's and really unclear... And the child, we don't know if they're using, using the child as a sex slave, but no, the child no, no, is the kidnapped. Child they're just, they're, they're, is what I they're holding him as like a, you need, like to do this. you need to do this mm-hmm. for me or, you know, these people will die eventually. Right. Do you think he has other, per- do you think that, that he sees that as a perk and there's some other like money aspect or is that like his entire intention is just kidnapping them for the sec- sec- sake of um, sexual assault? It right. certainly feels like it's that. It just yeah. is like, it feels like he saw her at this club 
and decided that he had ownership over her and was willing to take whatever he needed to take I'm, to make that happen. And and like you said, it feels like then, in a way, like that's exactly what happens with Kyle McLaughlin. Like he right. becomes the exact same thing that he is, uh, that he says he's trying to fight. Like one of the notes that I have is it just feels like this whole story is such a depressing way to show the phenomena of like, and this is overgeneralized. This happens with lots of groups of people, but just sort of like a white man, like meddling in a story. He's never at any point, like he's really not ever trying to help Dorothy. Like, right. He immediately joins in victimizing her and then drags Sandy into it by like starting a relationship with her that is based on a completely dishonest, uh, premise because like, she sort of is uh <laughs> he she is sort of reluctantly going along with him as well right? right like she is like i'm not really sure this is a great idea like when they're in the diner and he lays out his story she's like oh yeah you can tell me what you want to do but that's as far as this goes right, right? like i'm not doing any of your plan but i'll listen to it and then he continues to like push her into that and bring her along and sort of because he likes she likes him either as a friend or as it's hard to know at this moment right and she's also in another relationship he sort of like pushes her into the situation and into sort of a romantic situation with her as well right and she's an baseball player who if i remember correctly his name is mike which is also the name of the football player Donna is dating in Twin Peaks, right? Oh, Before yes. she's yeah. kind of like goes after Jimmy. Jimmy? I would say this James. James. James, yes. <laughs> I would say the the closest parallel to Twin Peaks is this film. Like I think there's a lot of parallels between oh, Twin definitely. Peaks. And per, uh, per IMDB it says that this movie inspired Twin Peaks. Yeah. I don't I know how totally true that is it. or not. Yeah. Well, let's think about uh, famously Roger Ebert gave this film one star. I love to Wow, I did not know that. And one of the reasons he quoted for saying this is a one-star film is that it keeps coming to this ridiculous Norman Rockwell suburban for laughs. I wish I wish Andrew was here to tell us what he thought of uh, Ebert's review. (laughs) Well, I really think that's one of the dumbest fucking things he's ever written because the purpose of this Norman Rockwell suburban world isn't comedy i would argue it's to show that there's this veneer of yeah it's a tragedy like it's a tragedy it's like you know i had this thought watching the movie very similarly to how i feel about twin peaks where it's like what time period is this supposed to be because obviously you can tell they're filming it in the 80s but much like twin peaks so much of the costuming and the vehicles and stuff are hearkening back to the 50s and it just feels like in both of these stories, in Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet, he's, yes, he's painting this picture of, like, perfect suburban, like, Norman Rockwell, beautiful American families, but then he's, like, looking deeper at the rotten core of all of those households. <laughs> it's one of the things that I'm in love with with this film, because I think that that world never existed, and it's in the right. imagination of white men, and I think that it's... You know, or it only existed for white men, right? right? If yeah, it did exist at all. When Norman Rockwell was painting, we it was like pre-Civil Rights Act. Like, right. the country was right. never just like a beautiful, harmonious place where everybody was equal. That literally never right. existed. 
and that's why I think it's just so beautiful about that depiction of it, right? Is because it doesn't feel real. He's so good at making this depiction of you know these white picket fenced neighborhoods the same way he does in Twin Peaks, and you know everything is rotten to the core underneath it, even without showing anything, just because of how everything seems pantomimed mm-hmm. and over the top. And it's like, oh, this is performative. Right. Right? It's not real. It's, well, it's, it's a performance, right? A, so, as horror fans, um, I was curious if either of you got, at the beginning, when it's showing, like, the little girls jumping rope and the fire truck going down the street, I was like, oh, this feels so much like Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Like, <laughs> I... Watching this, I yeah. was like, oh, so Wes Craven was a big fan of Blue Velvet. Like, all of those I'm scenes sure where the, it's in a, in a dream sequence and you're seeing these, like, kind of hazy, dreamy things of, like, playing outside, safe, calm, suburban streets. Like, it the it was so uh, similar to those sequences. It was really fun. I'm really glad you brought that up because if you take that and compare it to the in-dream sequence, right? The Roy Orbison in-dream sequence that mm-hmm. starts there mm-hmm. and then ends in the car where they're driving. It seems it's like the nightmarish flip of that, right? right. They're running. It's the opposite side of the coin, right? Mm-hmm. And that feels like a nightmare, whereas the other one feels like a, an idyllic daydream, right? Right. And I think that's just beautiful filmmaking, honestly. Yeah, you're turning you're turning me around on this one now. You're- <laughs> oh, we're bringing you around now, Luke. I don't want to say that this is going to push you even a little bit further, but um, I don't know if you caught another piece of uh, horror connective tissue that that seemed to me to be very intentional. But the sequence where uh, Kyle MacLachlan and Laura Dern are walking down the sidewalk, they pan ahead of them in a shot that's looking down the sidewalk, and it could absolutely have been a shot out of Halloween. It's just this like long shot down the street and down the sidewalk as they're walking. And I was like, all right, uh, this shot would not exist if it weren't for John Carpenter. Like, this is very cool to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I like I it. Wanna, I like yeah, it. And I want to add one more thing to the Rotten to the Core, right? So, Because, of course, we haven't touched on the fact that the yellow man who is a police officer as well mm-hmm. is, is, the, is Sandy's father's partner. Right. Right. So, you know, you, you have this like, hey, Frank is is, you know, in the police as well. Right. It's crazy to think that if all of this is about him owning Isabella Rossini's character sexually. Right. There's no money involved, although there's drugs involved somehow. Right. Mm-hmm. Everyone is just in on it. Everyone's just like, okay, we'll just hold him here. There's like a whole family. Right. A really weird family. That's like holding hit the son and her, her earless husband just there at the beck and call of Frank so he can live out this like demented sexual uh, um, escapade, I guess. Insane that all those people would go along with it. But I guess that that, you know, it even speaks more to the corruption at the core. Right. Idea. Because I don't know what's in it for them other than. Maybe they're afraid of Frank as well. Just, yeah, just not pissing Frank off. Another, this is such a weird throwaway thing, but another Twin Peaks uh, tie that I really liked was the bird at the end. The, yes. like, weird animatronic dead bird that's just, like, in the opening for Twin Peaks. <laughs> Holding the beetle from the first yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah. so um, great. 
And of course, you know, Sandy has that big monologue about her dream about the birds, right? And mm-hmm. that's it's a force for good, right? In a way, this is maybe the happiest ending of any David Lynch film, right? Because of all time, win, right? Right? The good guys sort of win at the end of this film. The good guys, quote unquote. Right? Hey, the good guys won in June. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Kyle I don't think Buck anybody the won. Water back. <laughs> Nobody won. I, I don't. I don't think so because I think we're the good guys and we all lost with that. <laughs> <laughs> but is it right? So I, you know, I want to get back to Frank in a little bit because I think he's a in a minute because I think he's an iconic bad guy, one of the greatest bad guys of all time, in my opinion. But I want to get back to it. But first. What happens with Sandy and Jeff at the end of this? He's clearly been abusing Isabel Rosalie's character. We we all agree on that, right? Yeah. And in some way, yeah. he's exploiting her, right? Right. For his own purposes. Mm-hmm. Sandy sees that and still yet, like, seems to take him back as a boyfriend. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, and they weren't even dating beforehand, so it's right. not even that she takes him back. She's like, true, okay, true. well, now we're dating. <laughs> well, but sort of crossed that line where they're somewhat, like, romantically involved. Sure, and sure. then she sees that moment, and she, in the, in, which is a great moment in the living room where he's holding her naked, and he's, like, trying to stop her from, as well as Lee's character, from crossing the line to make it clear that they had sex. And, right? like, even all of that is just, like, I can't, I can't comfort you in any way that's going to implicate me. Like, me. because it's all about me keeping up this image that I'm a really nice what guy. What an incredible piece of writing. Yeah. What an incredible piece of it's writing. It's horrifying um, to watch. But then she sees it and she igno- sort of just ignores it, right? At the end, we get this phone call where they're, like, profess their love to each other, essentially. Mm-hmm. Is that Sandy being also corrupted? Or is it about how women will just sort of accept guys being? Or is that is that women's own corruption? The, the you know what I mean? Like is that kind of what he's saying in that, a way that they just accept what accept piece of the shit we are of guys? Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna yeah. say is that corruption or is it hopelessness? I, well, I mean, I, I mean, I guess hopelessness <laughs> is its own sort of corruption, right? That I, I guess that is oh, that hit me right in the feels. Sorry. Yep. No, it's true. It's true. But yeah, I mean, I feel like it definitely speaks to the way that women are sort of socialized to be like, you just gotta, like, if there's a guy that likes you, you just gotta take him how he is, because you never know, he might be the only one in the whole entire world, and you have to, like, make him happy and be, like, you know, kind of, like, hold yourself into as many shapes as you can to be what he needs and not really worry about what you need. And that like, that's what I got out of Sandy's character. Right. Is that like, initially she's like very intrigued by Kyle McLaughlin's character, but she like, isn't necessarily interested in him romantically. She's just sort of intrigued by him. And I feel like the whole process of their relationship becoming more romantic is like him, at, at least initially, like forcing himself into situations where like he shows up late to pick her up. So then her boyfriend sees it and it's like, he just well, is a chase so, scene as well. Yeah. yeah. He's just like, so absolutely careless about her life and what matters to her. You know, like it was, it was clearly important to her, at least in the beginning 
that like she wanted to hang out with him, but she had a boyfriend and was very clear about it. And like he just was so careless with her life the whole time. Totally. Yeah. Guys, yeah. I don't didn't think this was possible. I think I like this film more the more we talk about it, quite honestly. I think you're gonna like it even more. So I told you guys off air that I didn't want to read this note that I wrote until we were on air because I wanted to get your reactions live on the podcast. Yeah. I want to clarify that I wrote this note far before Kyle McLaughlin's character becomes as problematic as he does. But like I think we can all agree that I lo- Kyle we all love is Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah. Sexy man. Oh, yes. So yes. there's a scene where he and Laura Dern are walking down the sidewalk and he starts walking like a chicken. Yes. And I wrote, I'm going to read this to you verbatim from my notes. Here they are. <clears throat> I would fuck that chicken walk right out of him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Is, this, is, this, is this just more proof that you were most likely drunk while you watched this? Yes. Or is that just, I, I think she would write that stone sober. But honestly, <laughs> I wouldn't write that sober. Because, like, let's be, let's be real. I would write that sober, too. I uh, love Kyle McLaughlin so much. And he's great in this film, honestly. He is, is one of his best performances, in my opinion. You know, Twin Peaks, obviously, is great in that sure. show as well. He's so much less complicated than that. It's so much easier to love. I mean, Dale Cooper is not without his foibles, <laughs> but he's easier to love than uh, Jeffrey. You got the flip side of Mr. Cooper as well to, That's to contend true. with in Twin Peaks. That's true. We don't speak his name. He's apparently David Lynch's muse. He is, for sure. For sure he is. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's not a bad muse to have, right? So let's get back to Frank. What, what do your guys impress? How do you feel, Luke, about Frank as a character? I just... How's this great as, uh, in your opinion, you know, in the pantheon of... Uh, you know, bad guys as well as performances by Dennis Hopper. Like, what? what how do you? What do you uh, think of this? It's up there because, like I said, he he's absolutely a presence. He's one of the things that made this movie like that much more like rip. Like, I was riveted when he was on when he was in when he was on screen or he was involved in a scene. And I I think probably in terms I'd have to I I don't have Dennis Hopper's filmography right in front of me here to kind of rehash my memory. Uh, but I, I wouldn't, I mean, Speed was always that, the, the Dennis Hopper, like, villain that I just, out of sheer love for that movie, and I don't, I, that might be controversial to say, but I do love Speed. Oh, and I, a, and I, uh, loved film. I, I love Dennis Hopper in that too. I, w- I would probably put this above that for sure. But like I said, I'd have to, I'd have, I don't have it all right in front of me, so I can't tell you, like, some of the other ones that I would put it up over. I just want to know, what in God's name he's breathing in in that plastic tube? Well, that's a very that interesting. Yeah, so that's a very interesting, uh, and you sort of get different answers depending on who you ask. Because I don't think it's very well defined. And there'll be people who it, said it was intentionally it, intended it to be a, helium. Does it have a tube hooked up to it? Because yes, yes, it yeah. does a tank. It doesn't yeah, look like it hooked up. Okay, I, I guess I'm. Dennis I, I Hopper claims it. it's supposed to be amyl nitrates, which are poppers. Same thing as poppers, if you yeah. know those are, which so makes sense. Helium. That well, there, there, there's people who say that it was intended by, intended to be helium from da- from David Lynch's intention was helium. How much, how much funnier or how much worse would those scenes have been if it was helium and he I then spouts off the things that he says, going right. 
Well, essentially he says he's like talking like a baby. That's what I read was that like David Lynch had written it to be helium. And mm. then uh, <laughs> Dennis Hopper was like, but if it's poppers, that like is specifically intended to like enhance like sexual experiences. So it's like so horrifying if he's like huffing that beforehand. Like, can you imagine if it had been helium and then he said all those terrifying baby lines with helium voice? Like, that would have been so... Uh, 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 it would have been horrible. I don't, know, I don't even know how you could possibly keep a straight face while watching it, though. <laughs> no, I mean, right. I even, like, honestly, the scene that at the end of that, at the end of that car ride, he's yelling, talking about putting a bullet in Kyle McLaughlin's forehead... It, to me, is one of the most terrifying moments in film history. Like, I, it's very, very scary to me. I mean, also in that same sequence where they have Kyle McLaughlin out of the car and they're just, like, beating the crap out of him while a lady, like, yeah. dances on the roof of the car, super oh. nonchalant, was, like, first of all, so David Lynch. And yes, second of all, absolutely <laughs> horrifying. But it's just, like... I think, I don't know who said it, either Sophie or Luke, how he's like, some of the things he says are like so babyish. That is one of the things that makes Well, he keeps makes calling Isabel terrible. Rosalini's character mommy. So oh, it's... And she he calls wants the breastfeed. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot that was one of, going on there. That was one of the uh, the trivia bits I read, too, on IMDb, was that Isabel Rosalini said that David Lynch was laughing uncontrollably on set in while filming that scene, and just based off of how ridiculous it was, and she remembered at the time uh, like being like, why the fuck is this dude laughing during this? And then, I guess now she, anytime she ever watches it, she just laughs hysterically, too, which I guess is one way to watch this movie and... Uh, take in that scene just by laughing hysterically. One but... way to cope, yeah. Yeah, and, and there's definitely people Maybe who he... think that Isabella Rossellini being put through this film was incredibly traumatizing. I've never seen her say that specifically. There might be stuff out there that does say that. I've never seen that, but there's definitely people who feel like she was abused by David Lynch during this process in some way, either just being put through the trauma of it, because it's definitely the toughest thing she's probably ever been through from a filmmaking standpoint, I would assume. I don't know how she feels about it, and I've never seen anything that she says explicitly like she feels like, but it might be out there, like I said. I mean, I'm sort of on the side of, especially with him laughing when that stuff is going on, that probably is, it does borderline on being <coughs> sort of abusive. Maybe, maybe he was probably just picturing uh, like what the post audio would sound like when he introduces the helium sounds into Dennis Hopper's voice. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, the laughing, it's disturbing, but it's, I mean, like Sophie said, like, I guess it could be, you could um, consider that a coping mechanism. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's but just I would it. imagine, like you said, Jason, I feel like if you're an actress, I have to imagine that there is a level of trauma in filming a scene in which you are sexually assaulted, even though yeah. even though, you know, it's a scene. Right. Like, I have to imagine that that is traumatizing in and of itself. And then having someone laughing, especially the person who is having you do it and is your partner. Right. Like, I can only imagine how, like, deeply traumatizing and upsetting that would be. Yeah. To, yeah. like, have that layered onto your experience having to act this scene yeah yeah i mean i think through that lens um 
that's what I would find the most problematic potentially about this film. Not necessarily mm-hmm. for me, for me, the final product, because I think as Sophie said, I think this film treats it with the gravitas it should. Uh, if you're going to make a film that this is this much about sexual violence, you know, and even her like grinning and stuff. Again, I see that as her being the victim and finding a way to try to cope through that. Right. Right. That's my again, that's my take on it. But I definitely could see somebody taking that as being like in a really bad way taking that because you could potentially take that as like, oh, she wanted this all along, you know? Right. And uh, oh, that's if you take it that way, which, you know, I don't think you're, you know, you could take this film however you you want to. This becomes sort of a detestable film, I think, in my opinion. If, yeah, if that's um, how you read it. I think it's hard yeah. to defend it if that's how you read the movie. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, again, Blue Velvet, a very complicated film. Hopefully we brought some sort of enlightenment to it any anything else you guys want to say about this film De- at all? Dennis, yes. Dennis Hopper's performance is no King Koopa for Mario Brothers let's get that up there <laughs> yeah, fair enough. okay fair enough. and I have to say that I remember listening to an interview about this and then I had forgotten until reading the IMDb trivia but there was a cut scene in which there should there was going to be a scene in the opening where Kyle McLaughlin was still at college with his girlfriend, played by Megan fucking Mullally. And I oh, want wow. to see that tape. Like, I want to see what that was like. Wow. What? Jeez. What do you think about showing him pre-coming back home? I mean, I think, wh- it's, I think it just lends more to the idea of him being kind of like a scummy guy who's pretending to be nice. If he, like, it's right like they removed a whole layer by being like they had a scene in which he had a girlfriend the entire fucking time like that's a very different story yeah for sure yeah yeah i think it almost i agree with that like i think that adds a really interesting layer to this film where he's also sort of pretending to have this this layer that he's hiding right mm-hmm. wow you know yeah also i just wow. would have loved to see megan malally and you know it was like before she had ever done anything right right like, yeah of course yeah because so. i think uh she might i mean because she'd been on i know i've seen her many times on like guests on like sitcoms and stuff that might sure. have happened before that so i think she was like uh well no because this is even before seinfeld and stuff right and then for what's the show that she was like a Dharma and Greg, right? Right? Uh, well, well, I know she was on Will and Grace. Dharma. That's what I meant. It was before yeah. Will and Grace, is what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> she was like the assistant on Will and Grace. Right. right. Yeah. 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 She very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, you know, what's your guys' final... You know, Luke, you said you had some difficulty with this film coming into it. Where do you land on it now that we've talked about it? Uh, I mean, like I said, I, I, I come down hard on stuff just for, just for fun, but it, <laughs> you're a hater. I, I didn't, <laughs> I mean, this is not it chapter two because it chapter two is just fucking garbage. Uh, this coming from the guy who literally just bought it the other day. Cause I, you know, I, I'm a, <laughs> I'm, I'm a statist and I just want to torture myself. Cause you're a man uh, of many layers. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're gonna be you're, you're gonna be you're, breathing yeah. helium and watching uh it chapter two and laughing <laughs> you can't pin me give it down. to me mommy give it to me <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i don't know how i feel about that uh <sighs> i i like i said i didn't hate this i think uh i mean number rankings and star ratings are all just bullshit anyway but i think i i think i came down on giving this like a five out of ten when i put it on letterbox when i tracked my uh where i track my movies but ultimately like i if you were to twist my arm but like hey we're just gonna sit down and you know get drunk and watch this movie i'm like i i if anybody asked me to get drunk and watch any movie i'm hard pressed to turn that down so uh, I I would not say n- fuck no I'm not watching this but it's definitely not something I would turn on for fun. Mm. That's Just fair. Any yeah, theory. I don't I don't think anyone should watch this film for fun. Yeah, I don't. Think I think it's... even if you like it, it's probably not a fun watch. No, it's not. You should definitely turn it on when people on the internet coax you to turn it on. Kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> When, okay. you're, when your weird friends from the computer are like, Luke, you should watch it. Curious, Luke, how many David Lynch films have you seen? Uh, uh, Dune and Blue Velvet. Oh, Those are the okay. ones I've seen. And I watched some... Well, here, again, I don't... What... I, uh, there, it's very possible that I have come across some of his movies when I was younger and just didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the ones that I consciously watched on purpose, these are the two. Gotcha. I think we're watching Wild at Heart next, right? Which I love that film as well. I think you may have more fun with that film. That's I saw film that it has Nicolas Cage in it, and I am... It's a, it's a, it's a classic very, Nicolas Cage. I am movie. very frightened. <laughs> you should be. You should be. It's a crazy film. It's a very crazy... It's a little bit less of the darker... I mean, there's dark stuff in it, for sure. How many um, sandworms are in it? Um, <laughs> only three. Yeah, only okay. Three that's, we'll see. We'll see how a, you come down. Wild that's a hard. I think two, you'll that's probably a hard two out of ten. ten. That's a hard two out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie, where'd you come out on this? You know, I think so. I'm someone who my primary exposure to David Lynch is through Twin Peaks. I've seen a mm-hmm. couple of his movies, but not very many. Um, and honestly, I've probably more than doubled my David Lynch movies since doing uh, Dune and Blue Velvet for this podcast. So like I said, most of my experience is within Twin Peaks and I love Twin Peaks, but I'm definitely someone who understands when people are like, Oh, I hate Twin Peaks. It's just like so weird. And I'm like, listen, you're wrong, but I understand. And (laughs) I feel like, I feel like because I have so much nostalgia for Twin Peaks, I feel like I had the experience watching this that maybe some people have watching Twin Peaks for the first time, where I think for me, there is an element of like, I love David Lynch. And once I have time to like think about his movies and talk about them, I like them a lot. But usually while I'm watching them, I'm like, this is just so fucking weird. Why is it so weird? I feel like that's a pretty good example of how I've felt so far is where I watched it and I was like, what the fuck? Like, and now we're talking about, I'm like, oh yeah, this all sounds real good now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I think like this one was a little bit more accessible. Like we talked about, like there are more um, parallels to Twin Peaks, which made it feel like overall more accessible to me. I'm really interested to watch Wild at Heart 
But yeah, I would say overall that this is a movie that probably because of the sexual violence, like I don't know that I need to watch again, at least not for a very long time. But I'm really interested to like continue reading about it and talking about it because I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. And I'm very intrigued by David Lynch, especially with this and Twin Peaks. Like it appears that he's very drawn to the idea of the ways in which women are victimized. And I think like the way that he handles those subjects are super hit or miss. But when he gets it, I think he does a really good job. And I, when he misses, he also really misses, but like, I just find that to be a really fascinating. It's again, like we said about this movie, it's not like he's throwing a sexual assault scene in to like be edgy or whatever. It seems like he as a person is really like trying to grapple with what that means about humanity and especially men. And like, I find that interesting. So yeah, I, for the most part, I really enjoyed this movie, but it's like every time I start watching a David Lynch movie, it takes me about 10 minutes to like, Oh, right. This is a David Lynch movie. And it's just going to be weird. And I just need to like buckle up and wait for it and like reserve judgment until the end. Yeah, I think um, we picked a couple films. Uh, actually, I think we picked just some of the most accessible David Lynch films you can pick, right? I think Wild of Heart's pretty accessible as well, just because it's weird. Excited because it's Laura Dern gets a lot more to do in that film, and I just love watching Laura Dern. And uh, it's a film I love to talk about. So, uh, you know, in, in this film, Blue Velvet, I really love this film. I said that up front. That doesn't change. It is a film that I would never suggest anyone watch for enjoyment it's not an enjoyable film in my opinion not fun it's not fun but i also like films that aren't fun quite honestly quite a bit i enjoy i have to be i enjoy films that are not enjoyable though like i have to be in the mood for something i know i'm not gonna enjoy based off of like the 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 type of material it's working with yeah so this would be a good example of that yeah, um, I have to say, to be quite honest, that like I, sorry to interrupt, I, I no, did have the, I did have the experience of like, I was reading the IMDb trivia, and that spoiled for me that there would be a rape scene in this movie, I think I would have had a very different experience if I didn't know that was going to happen. So like, mm. I read that, and I was like, okay, cool, I can like, brace myself for that to happen. I think we'd be having a very different conversation if I like, didn't know that was coming, sure. and then it happened. Yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I mean, there's some stuff that we could pick, like Inland Empire and Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, that are just very difficult to determine what's even happening or why things are happening. I do think Mulholland Drive has one of the most frightening sequences in the history of film. And I'd encourage anyone who's a horror fan, even if you don't like David Lynch, to go look up the diner scene from Mulholland Drive the scene that begins in the diner and ends outside the diner, I think is a masterclass in suspense and tension and proper payoff. If you've never seen that, I I mean, it is, I, I'm not sure it's ever been better done, quite honestly. I'd hold that up against anything Hitchcock ever did, quite honestly. So yeah, just check that out. I love Mulholland Drive, but it is a very... Andrew's you know, hair just stood on end when you mentioned Hitchcock's name. <laughs> um, it is it is a very you know tough film to you know if you're a person who struggles with ambiguous ambiguous material probably don't want to go much beyond the blue velvet you know 
just dip your toes in the blue velvet. Yeah, 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 and, and you know, see where you go from there. Yeah. So, uh, Luke, what's going on with you in the internet? Uh, I, I, you can find me on the internet in a lot of places, but if you, if you feel so inclined to hear more of my opinions on movies, which I don't know why you would at this point after listening oh, to me, come but on. <laughs> you, you, you fucking can, do. All right. Wait, 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 I, <laughs> wait, listener, you fucking do. Okay. Hard agree. All right? Hard agree. All right. Uh, Inhale some nitrates and go listen to Luke talk yeah, about movies. You can, you Let can, Luke sell himself short. Yeah, you can you can go chug a whole bunch of beers and then listen to me talk about movies on the Cinepub podcast that you can find on Anchor and pretty much pretty well anywhere, and on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crummy Luke on both. Right. Yes, Crummy Luke on both. I don't. I don't. I'm not a very good social media person. <laughs> me either. Me either. I struggle with social media. Yeah, me too. That's because we're old. Sophie. <laughs> If you want to listen to me and my sister uh, talk about horror films in a uh, very casual and sometimes feminist way, uh, you can check us out. Our podcast is called 28 Days Ladier, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Phillies Femme. That's Phillies like the baseball team and Femme like a French lady. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) I'm on various places on the internet. Bad Attitude 86 on Twitter. I have my own podcast, Moments of Madness. Yeah, you do. Which both of them um, have both of both of the guests have been on, um, where we talk about social issues and television. I was famously on your only episode to get hate mail. Is that right? Yes, correct. <laughs> yes, correct. We're you're not going to that. You're doing something right. Next up, I have Adam, spaceman lawyer. And we're going to be talking about uh, an episode of Designing Women in the AIDS epidemic of the 90s. So that's coming up. Um, I held off on that because I figured it probably wasn't a good Thanksgiving release. But we'll uh, <laughs> you'll see that coming soon. I also have, and this is going to be new to both of my guests, another podcast, new podcast coming out. You ready for this? I'm not ready. <laughs> Called Generation Intonation. The premise of this podcast is myself and my 14-year-old daughter, who is a freshman in high school, will be weekly listening to an album that came out that year and talking about it. So, for instance, the first one is going to be BTS's new album. So if you want to hear an old man listen to BTS and talk about it with a 14-year-old. I don't even know what the I've never wanted anything more. It's a K-pop band. Um, Oh, dear God. (laughs) <laughs> the biggest K-pop band in the world. And then we'll be flip-flopping and we'll be listening to an album that came out my year of freshman in high school from summer into it. So, for instance, if you want to listen to a 14-year-old hear the Wu-Tang Clan for the first time, you can listen to that as well. <laughs> That's not going to be our first one, but just for instance. And we'll be going back and forth every week. Yep. And then she Holy goes into cow. sophomore. Yeah. We will move into my sophomore year, etc. So... Yeah, <laughs> Sophie, Sophie is very, very excited, excited about this. About this. Is so <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing my mind. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. So we're recording okay. that tomorrow. It'll probably be a couple weeks before it comes out, but you know that will be the name of the podcast. And you know we'll be uh, starting with BTS's new album that came out like a couple weeks ago. So I think a week or so ago. So we'll uh, I'll be hearing that for the first time, and we'll be talking about that.
Honestly, I think my it's selection. Just rude. What's that? Honestly, it's just rude that you both have like adorable progeny to have on your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> You're really I up think... in the podcast game in a way that I can't. I can't uh, keep up with. Well, to tip my hand, my first album selection I think is going to be Alice in Chains' Dirt. So I think that would be a fun <laughs> One of my favorite. Oh my god! Okay, I can't. I I literally can't start. I can't wait to start my podcast of uh, going through all the David Lynch movies with my five year old. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> There's a big difference between a fourteen year old and a five year old watching. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's going to be going to daycare like you're never gonna fucking believe this shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, you're both great dads. I love the shit out of both of you. Oh, my God. We love you all. You know, thank you for following uh, Milkshakes and Mimosas and get ready for some coffee and pies. We get into Twin Peaks and talk about Wild at Heart. And hopefully um, Andrew will be back next week. Love you all. Have a great night. And, you know, keep on uh, watching that David Lynch out there. And, and, and his magnificent air on IMDb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.